we are moving on to John 9. We spent, I think, six weeks in John 8, six messages from John 8, and believe it or not, I'm going to attempt to get us through John 9 in one message this morning. So buckle up, everybody. We're going to be moving along. But to get us started, I would ask you to look up at the screens beside me. Look at that screen. I know that's an odd-looking picture, but I just want you to, for a moment, just quickly look at that and, and tell me which horizontal center line is longer, the top or the bottom. Now, no, this, is, this is called the Muller-Lyer illusion. You may have seen this before. In reality, the center lines, the horizontal lines there, are the same exact length, the same length. But if you're honest, the bottom line does appear longer. It's an optical illusion. And it's one of the reminders that the way we perceive things to be is often different from the way things actually are. Years ago, I read a book called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, and that's where I encountered that illustration for the first time. And in Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, the authors who are experts in how the human mind works, they talk about how we have kind of two systems of thinking. We have quick snap judgments that we kind of make our way through life with, all the types of little quick decisions that we make throughout the day. And then we have what they call system two thinking, which is more deliberate and careful and analytical. And the authors point out throughout the book that while both are necessary, especially system one thinking, that quick snap judgment going by what we see and just assuming it to be the way we determine it to be or the way we perceive it to be, that often gets us into trouble in a lot of different areas, including relationally it gets us into trouble. And it's an illustration of the fact that what we often believe to be the case is not the case. What sometimes we feel like we're sure is the case is, is not the case. I saw a t-shirt not long ago that said, I could be wrong, but I doubt it. <laughs> the, the only thing I doubt is that perhaps I could be wrong. That I doubt. Everything else I'm sure about. Well, this morning's message in John chapter 9 is going to acquaint us with this reality. The Lord Jesus is going to teach us this morning that when it comes to seeing things as they actually are, ironically, in this paradox, we actually see when we admit to God that we can't see. When we can acknowledge that we cannot see, that we are blind, that is how God gives us His sight. That is how we, and you'll notice the title there, that's how we see the light. Okay, We see the light by admitting that we in and of ourselves cannot see, that we can't trust what we see. That's where we're heading. Now, this is an interesting story in the Gospel of John, and it may be familiar to some of you, because we're going to encounter here a man who was blind from birth. And so it's about someone who's physically blind. But by the end of the story, this is why I wanted to keep it in one message, by the end of the story, we're going to see it actually has more to do with spiritual sight than physical sight. And I hope that you will be encouraged by what we learn together this morning. So we're going to work our way through it. If you would just begin with me in verse 1. And we'll read, for starters, verses 1 through 3. It says, as he passed by, that is Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So they come upon this man who is blind. And the immediate assumption of the disciples is, well, someone must have sinned. Someone must have sinned really badly. That would have to be the explanation for why this man was born blind. That was the common thinking in that day. 
And it's not really uncommon thinking today. Because we all tend to think in terms of measurements and score systems. And when we see things going badly for someone, we, well, they must have made some bad choices in life. And, and often that's the case, but usually there's more to it than just that. But this is the way we naturally think. Later in the story, we'll, we'll see where the religious people are saying that he was born entirely in sins, which is kind of an indictment of his whole family. Well, that's why he's blind. must be cursed by God in some way. But that was not accurate thinking. That was not truthful thinking. That was human thinking, but it wasn't accurate. Again, it's based on kind of the way we humanly judge and come up with this score system, but it wasn't accurate. Back in Exodus, we're told that it's God who has made man's mouth. God makes man mute or deaf, seeing or blind. It has something to do with his purpose, and that's what Jesus says here. This has to do with the works of God. This has to do with something God's up to in this world that explains this disability that this man has. Well, let's continue reading. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So here Jesus repeats this idea. He said this earlier in John as well. I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied, it to the, applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing I mean, this is another one of these amazing miracles where Jesus makes this man see just like that. He spits in the, the dirt, and there's some question, why would he do it that way? And he can't be entirely sure, but he chose, he, he healed some people by just saying a word or by just touching them here. He, he creates this kind of mud mixture, and he has him apply it to his eyes, then he has him go to this one area where there's water and to wash it, and when he washes it, he begins seeing now, I want you to consider for a second what this must have been like for this man. It says he was born blind. By this point, he's an adult. We don't know his exact age, but we can, we can surmise here he must have been at least 20 or 30, maybe 40. That's a lot of years to be blind, isn't it? To live his whole life that way. In fact, he never knew what it was like to see. And all of a sudden, Jesus ministers to him, heals him, and for the first time in his life, in all those years, he can see. He can see the sky. He can see the sand, the brown sand, the green grass, the tall trees, people's faces, Jerusalem there. He can see. It's hard to even imagine what that would be like for someone. We take so much for granted, don't we, in terms of our natural abilities? It's interesting. Years ago, I stumbled across a story of a man who, at the age of 51, through a near-miraculous surgery, was able to gain his sight for the first time. And I want you to hear his description of his surroundings, to include something as simple as colors. Listen to how he describes colors. He says, I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. I don't have the words. I'm just amazed by yellow. But red, red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. Then he went on to say things like, I can see the shape of the moon, sunrises, sunsets. At night, I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing lights. I could never have known how wonderful everything is. Now when you hear that, you can say, okay, it's a little bit, I mean, don't get carried away here. It's just a color or what. But no, when you can appreciate having never seen anything, what that meant to him. 
What he experienced was something to us that's mundane, but to him was meaningful. So you can imagine for this man at this time, the gratitude in his heart, the the amazing contrast between the way he had known life before and the way he knows life now. But as amazing as that is, we're going to see as the story goes on, there's even a greater form of seeing that's even more valuable than that. That's where Jesus is taking him, and that's where Jesus is taking us. So let's continue reading. Verse 8, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Those nosy neighbors, right? That neighbors were nosy back then too. They're still nosy today. None of us are ever the nosy neighbors though, right? We keep to our own business, of course. Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, listen, I'm, it's me. I'm the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my, uh, my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't, I don't know. Now a detail that's added here that wasn't mentioned earlier was that They knew him to be a beggar. In those days, there weren't social safety net programs. He was poor. He would be begging day after day after day, not seeing, just begging, aware of people moving by, hearing things, and just begging people just to have enough to get by. You can imagine a miserable form of existence, tremendous suffering. And again, now he has a whole new lot in life and he is filled with gratitude and he's having this discussion about how this happened and he said it was it was Jesus and then continue on verse 13 they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind and that's now you get the religious people and they say hey, we got to get the kind of experts involved so they bring him to the Pharisees and it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes uh-oh Jesus made clay on the Sabbath day. Jesus made something. He, in their minds, he worked on the day when you're not supposed to work. Now, never mind that this guy that suffered for decades is now relieved of his suffering. Never mind that. I mean, he broke, he broke the rule. He didn't do the right thing. Interesting. Verse 15, then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. He said to them, he applied clay to my eyes. I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So even amongst the Pharisees, there was this debate going on. How else could he do this? So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's he's a prophet. Interesting. How crazy is it that um, this man who has been touched by God, mercifully touched by God, relieved of his suffering. And they're embroiled in this controversial debate, this intellectual debate, this legalistic debate about law-keeping. Jesus says elsewhere that the religious people tend to strain at gnats and swallow camels. This would be an example of that, missing the spirit of the law because of a myopic focus on the letter of the law. And so 
it says in verse 18, the Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? Okay, what's your take? Verse 20, his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now, this appears to be their genuine, authentic answer. Hey, we don't know. Yes, it's our son. That's all we can tell you. Beyond that, we don't know. But look what it says next. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Now, here's what's intriguing. Remember, I referenced this earlier, but it's in verse 34 where they make the accusation, you were born entirely in sins, which is a way of indicting his parents, the same people we're talking about right here. And because of their fear of their religious overlords, they can't even in this moment just rejoice with their son. Think of how deadly legalism is and religiosity is. Just deadly, just dehumanizing deadly stuff. All for the score system, all for the measurements, all for, well, their sin is this way, and so-and-so's sin is worse, and that's why their son was born blind. And, and the constant judging, the snap judgments, as Jesus says elsewhere, judging according to appearances, according to externals. And we all love to do that, don't we? In the same book that I referenced earlier, the author says this, Two important facts about our minds. We can be blind to the obvious, and we are also blind to our blindness. And then this. It is much easier, as well as far more enjoyable, to identify and label the mistakes of others rather than recognize our own. It's true, isn't it? If you hear that, <laughs> through the ears of humility, you've got to say, yeah, it's true. And while that book was published not that long ago, thousands of years ago, God was revealing to us, this is your condition. That's why he says of the religious people in the Old Testament in the text that David read earlier, that they have eyes, but they don't see. They don't see, they don't hear, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But he says, but I'm going to do this amazing thing. I'm going to come to them and I'm going to have mercy on them. I'm going to do these wondrous things. I'm going to rescue them and the, the deaf is going to hear and the blind is going to see. And going to see in more ways than one. In this case, physical sight, but again, more importantly, spiritual sight. But we have to acknowledge that we have this, this way about us of judging according to externals. As, as one said, we all know that we all fall short of the glory of God, but that doesn't keep us from measuring distances and comparing distances. Yeah, I fall short, but not as far short as that person does conveniently located near enough to me for me to feel a little better about myself and my score before God or whatever in our own thinking. Well, this is what dominated the religious class of the day. And here is God in the flesh, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, there showering them with mercy and speaking truth at every second, and they're suspicious and skeptical and debating, and they can't just rejoice and be free. It's sad how seductive that fleshly 
fallen mindset is and how blind we can be to the greatness of our God. But he continues patiently there and and even this blind man is, is starting to get a little bit irritated as we read along. We'll see. But he's, he's just saying, look, guys, this is all I can tell you. I was blind, but now I see. So continue reading. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, verse 24, where I'm, I am now. They said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. Didn't you listen? Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you you want to become his disciples too? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. And here again, just wisdom coming from the lips of this man The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing, that you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. He opened my eyes. (laughs) Decades of blindness, and like that, I can see. I've never seen before. Yeah, but who is he? Where did he come from? How did he... I mean, the word obtuse comes... I like some of these weird words, but obtuse, like dense comes to mind so verse 31 we know that God does not hear sinners but if anyone is God fearing and does his will he hears him since the beginning of time it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind if this man were not from God he could do nothing I mean he's kind of appealing to him at this point appealing to to those people who are questioning and skeptical he's look if he wasn't of God you think he could do this Doesn't this authenticate that this guy is the real deal? And this is where they say, what I've referenced a few times already, they answered him, it's just sad that they they are not seeing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Now they're they're picking up on, they, they think some condescension on his part. Oh, look at this guy. All of a sudden he's the teacher. Whereas they always viewed who they viewed as the teacher. Themselves, we're the teachers, we're in charge around here. And he's just this simple beggar who in their minds was of a much lower class. And this is flipping everything upside down and they don't like it. And even going back just for a moment to their parents, this blows my mind. Even his own parents didn't like what was going on because they were feeling what? Insecure. Well, they're going to put people out if they're associated with Jesus, if they're claiming to be one of his followers, if they're claiming they're going to put them out. We don't want to be put out. It's your kid who has suffered for decades is now relieved and free. But blinded as, as we so often can be. Blinded by arrogance and pride and misunderstandings and, and faulty interpretations even of the Old Testament. Blinded. Claiming allegiance to Moses and Abraham and yet missing the whole point of the Bible. So continuing on in verse 34, they answered him, you were born entirely in sins. You, are you teaching us? So they, so they put him out. They did. They put him out just like they had threatened to do. They said, you're out of here. They, in a way, excommunicated him. 
verse 35, and this is, <laughs> this is awesome. Isn't this so often where Jesus finds us? Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I mean, there you are. You've been kicked out on your keister, okay? And you're wondering, well, I, I know I was blind. I was suffering, and I was just beginning to enjoy my sight, and all of a sudden I found myself in this conflict with these religious people, and here I am, and I don't know what to do, and, and here is Jesus is coming back saying, hey, I got more, got more for you. I gave you your sight. I gave you your eyes back. But I want to open your heart to the truth. So he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in me? He answered, who, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, which is awesome. <laughs> You've both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. Uh, the religious leaders didn't want to continue conversing with him. But Jesus says, I'm here talking to you. God's talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then Jesus says this, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. So I came for judgment, and we've talked about this term before, but the idea of like distinguishing. I've come to tell you the truth of the way things really are. Not the way you perceive things to be. Remember the lines on the screens earlier, your perception, which is so often warped and twisted. But I've come to tell you the way things really are. And to take people who can't see and are willing to admit they can't see and to give them sight. And to take the people who insist that they see and render them blind. That's what I've come for. And verse 40 is also fascinating. The Pharisees who were with him heard these things. Still kind of lurking, watching, loving to do that. Loving to sit back, scrutinize, judge point the finger, sitting over the Messiah and this healed man. And, uh, and then they ask a question. Okay, well, let's see what you're going to say to this. Uh, are we blind too then? Are you saying we're blind too? Jesus said to them in verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. Since you insist that you see, sin remains. Uh, Pastor Rob read from Colossians earlier. There's a verse uh, in Colossians 2 that says, As you received the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. And that little word as, just two letters, as, Hugely significant because it means this in the same way you received him, so walk in him. And how did you receive him? Well, you received him if you did authentically receive him. You received him as this blind man. Hey, I don't know much. In fact, I don't even trust my vision. 
and, and obviously, in his case, physical, in our case, spiritual. Look, I, I, God, I, I've got myself into such a mess. My way of thinking, my way of operating, I need a Savior. I need you. I need your truth that sets free. I'm stuck in lies that enslave. I need you. And Paul in Colossians says, you walk forward in the same way. Maturity doesn't mean depending less and less upon Jesus. <laughs> it, it means growing in your understanding of just how much you need him and how much you need his truth and his sight. How much we all need for our minds to be reoriented because as we've been saying throughout the, st the study of the Gospel of John, our biggest problem is not just that we, we do some bad things, we make some bad choices on the outside. That was the pharisaical system of thinking. They were had a very superficial view of Scripture and the Ten Commandments. And so it's like, well, who's keeping them and who isn't? And who's doing the ceremonies and who isn't? They missed the heart of it all. And what the Scriptures tell us and what the Gospel of John illustrates for us is our biggest problem is our failure to see the overwhelming goodness of our God in every aspect of how He has treated us in life, from the natural things to the spiritual things. Every aspect of it. That is our biggest problem, and that's why we get ourselves into all the messes and jams we get ourselves into. And, and so often we think that the Christian life is just as simple as just, well, it's just doing the right things and teaching other people to do the right things. Like, getting it right. Which is another way of saying, well, it's just about justifying ourselves, doing the right, doing the just, and getting other people to do the just. That is not the essence of Christianity. Those are important things to consider. The consequences in this world for the decisions we make, no question about it in a natural sense. That is true. But vertically speaking, spiritually speaking, it is about leaning into resting in His justification, His rightness, saying, Jesus, you see, I don't. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, knowledge, right? Depending on the verse. God, you're big, I'm small. I can tell you with thousands of, probably thousands of hours of counseling over the last two decades in my life, some of the most amazing moments are when I see people in my office, often Christian people, saying to me, you know what, I didn't even realize how I was mistreating my spouse or how I was mistreating my children and trying to even use the Bible or use my religion to control them because of my own desires and my own fears. And for them to have the light bulbs come on and say, wow, there is a way of thinking I wasn't even realizing how good God has been to me or how faithful he has been or that I can trust him with my family. And so I was having to control and do whatever and just the freedom, the healing. When they go back to a family member and say, hey, I'm sorry, I've been a jerk. I didn't realize it, but I see it now. But something about that is just scary, isn't it? I mean, scary to think, God, wait a minute, are you going to tamper with how I think? Because I really am kind of comfortable with the way I, I think. I've made it this far. Don't try to, like, take that away from me. I need, I need something in life. <laughs> and as with this man, he comes, he approaches and says, hey, look, I've, I'm here to set you free. I'm here with mercy. Just listen to me. Listen to the truth. Listen to who I say I am for you. That I'm your living bread. I'm your living water. You don't need beyond me. You don't need anything. Which is a way of saying what Pastor Rob said earlier. I'm the substance. And you've got me. And I've found people who have grown in their ability to rest in the grace of God and the love of God toward them have these amazing epiphanies. Maybe earlier 
when they became a Christian, they kind of walked away from some things, maybe immoral choices or whatever, but, but there's a whole different, deeper level of just now seeing some things about how they've acted, the narratives they've believed their whole lives. Maybe some victim narrative or some need to control other people. And now they're realizing, wow, so much of my religion was just about controlling other people or trying to get my way or securing myself or proving myself or measuring up or impressing people or whatever. And freedom, when being encountered with the truth of Christ and, ha- and, and admitting, oh, okay, God, I can't see. I've had people in my office through tears. I remember one gentleman, still a friend of mine, through tears, he's just saying, hey, Jeff, I thought I knew which way was up. I don't even know that anymore. Can you help me? And then we just prayerfully walked through things for months and months and months, and God began to open his eyes to some things. On the flip side, I've seen many people, many religious people, many Christian people, say things to me like, don't you dare try to tell me that it's my fault. Don't you dare try to tell me that I'm misreading this person or that I've misjudged this situation. Many years ago, there was someone who was um, adamant that wasn't harsh enough with sinners in the church from the pulpit. And then something happened months later where this person was in a conflict with another person in the church, and I said, hey, could we have a meeting in my office? And we sat in that meeting, and I said, hey, we've got to address what's happened here because there's been some sin and some hurt that's gone back and forth. And the same person who was adamant and really wanted me to, like, let the flamethrower go on everybody else, that same person was like, hey, this isn't my, this, well, I didn't do anything wrong. It's all her fault. I didn't say anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't have the wrong tone. I didn't, I didn't do. What are you talking about? And, and to be honest with you, I, I know this person did not see what I was saying at all. But there was plenty of her done, but no ability to see it. This is an educated person. person considered this, this person's self considered to uh, be a leader, communicator of truth, admired, esteemed, followed by many, many disciples of this person, completely blind, unwilling to see their own contribution. And that could be any one of us. Be me, be you. And along the lines of, as you've received Christ, he is the Lord, so walk in him. We're all learning as God brings us along the journey of life. We're learning of ourselves. We're learning more and more clearly. We're seeing more the depths and layers of our sinful, twisted thinking, our inability to see the goodness of God, our bad attitudes, our inability, our unwillingness to serve, all that stuff we're seeing, and we're simultaneously seeing God loves you, God loves you, God is for you, God is up to good in your life, God's even revealing this, not ultimately to harm you, but to heal you, I mean, he's helping you see, and it just reframes everything, and we can rest in knowing he's helping us see. Kind of a final thought here. Years ago, I, I heard a TED Talk. Some of you have seen those on YouTube. They can go viral sometimes. There's all different speakers. And it was a TED Talk, and the topic was on being wrong. And the speaker asked this question. How does it feel emotionally when you are wrong? And had some audience participation, and the people in the audience said things like, embarrassing, shameful, Dreadful, thumbs down. 
How does it feel emotionally when you are wrong? And all those types of answers. And then the speaker responded, and this is brilliant, responded with this saying, uh, you're actually answering a different question. You don't realize it, but you're answering a different question. You're answering the question, how does it feel emotionally when you realize you're wrong? Because very often what it feels like when you're wrong is it feels like what it feels like to be right. Interesting, isn't it? Shame and embarrassment, those are things we feel when we realize we are wrong. And so often don't even realize it. So a passage like this is inviting us to freshly come to Christ. To come to him this morning and say, God, help me see. Maybe there's something in my life I'm interpreting a certain way. There's a relationship. Treating a person a certain way and I feel justified in treating them that way. Maybe my view of a neighbor or someone who's maybe outside of the church in my mind or not a non-religious person and, I, and I'm thinking a certain way and I'm, I'm measuring them based upon the check boxes that I have in my mind and I'm not seeing them as an actual complex soul with hurts and pains and grief and lies and blinders just like I have and in need of the same mercy that I'm receiving? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is. God's up to good things in all of our lives. So if you would, would you pray with me that God would help us to see? Help us to see more and more clearly, first and foremost, who he is and what he is like. To celebrate him and then to share with others. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your truth in John chapter 9. Thank you for thousands of years ago loving that man. We really don't even know much about him. We just know that he was blind and that that was for your good purposes and that you gave him sight. And we also know that ultimately at some point he lost his sight because he, he lost his life. He did perish at some point. But God, you gave him in those moments the most important kind of sight there is. He opened his eyes to Jesus. To Jesus who is the embodiment of your love and your mercy and your justice. You opened his eyes to the righteous one. And you've opened our eyes as well. We see that our only hope is, is you, God, and your son and your spirit. That left to ourselves, we are so blind, so confused. And we live in, in such a blind and confused world and we're banging around down here all the time and tons of conflict and bloodshed and we so desperately need you. The world needs you and, and this morning I ask you help us to begin with this reality that we, we need you. We still need you. Even those who have walked with you for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we need you. We need you to help us see because we're so inclined to just thinking default, knee-jerk reactions, our own way, advancing our own causes, protecting ourselves, insecure, fearful, greedy. And in Jesus, you have more than attended to all those deep needs. You've met us there and you've said, I'm with you and I'm for you. You're complete in Christ. He's your living bread. He's your living water. He's your light of life. So God, help us to be amazed, to celebrate him, to walk in freedom and joy because of his great love for us. 
knowing our sins are forgiven. We're one with you. We're in your family. We can never be cast out, though people are cast out of churches and religions and families all the time. We can never be cast out of your family because we're secure in Jesus. We're as loved by you as Christ is loved by you, and that is amazing. Thank you, God, for what you've done for us. Open our eyes to see the realities of life. Open our eyes to see areas of blindness, hurtfulness, whether things that are only a harm to us or a harm to us and also, as a byproduct, also harmful to others. Help us to see those areas. Submit them to you to experience freshly your grace and to walk in faith and love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.